0: Chapter Eight of the Frozen Pirate. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Frozen Pirate by William Clark Russell. The Frozen Schooner i found myself on the summit of a kind of tableland. vast bodies of ice every block weighing hundreds and perhaps thousands of tons lay scattered over it yet for the space of a mile or so the character was that of flatness southwards the range went upwards to a coastal front of some hundred feet with a huddle of peaks and strange configurations behind soaring to an elevation from the sea-line of two or three hundred feet northwards the range sloped gradually with such a shelving of its hinder part that i could catch a glimpse of a little space of the blue sea that way from this i perceived that whatever thickness and surface of ice lay southwards in the north it was attenuated to the shape of a wedge so that its extreme breadth where it projected its cape or extremity would not exceed a musket shot a companion might have qualified in my mind something of the sense of prodigious loneliness and desolation inspired by that huge picture of dazzling uneven whiteness blotting out the whole of the south-east ocean rolling in hills of blinding brilliance into the blue heavens and curving and dying out into an airy film of silvery azure radiance leagues away down in the south-west but to my solitary eye the spectacle was an amazing and confounding one if i had not seen the tract of dark blue water in the northeast i might have imagined that this island stretched as far into the east and north as it did in the south and west and one thing i quickly enough understood that if i wanted to behold the ocean on the east side of the ice i should have to journey the breadth of the range which here where i was might mean one or five miles for the blocks and lumps hid the view and how far off the edge of the cliffs on the other side might be i could not therefore gather this was not to be dreamt of and therefore, to this extent, my climb had been useless. Being on top of the range now, I could plainly hear the noises of the splitting and internal convulsions of this vast formation. The sounds are not describable. Sometimes they seemed like the explosions of guns, sometimes like the growlings and mutterings of huge, fierce beasts, sometimes like smart, single, echoless blasts of thunder. And sometimes you heard a singular sort of hissing or snarling, such as iron makes when speeding over ice. Only when this noise happened, the volume of it was so great that the atmosphere trembled upon the ear with it it was impossible to fix the direction of these sounds the island was full of them and always sullenly booming upon the breeze was the voice of the ocean swell bursting in foam against the ice coast that confronted it you may talk of the solitude of a selkirk but surely the spirit of loneliness in him could not rival the unutterable emotion of solitariness that filled my mind as i sent my gaze over those miles of frozen stirless whiteness he had the sight of fair pastures of trees making a twinkling twilight on the sward of grassy savannas and pleasant slopes of hills the air was illuminated by the glorious plumage of flying birds the bleat of goats broke the stillness in the valleys there was a golden regale for his eye and his other senses were gratified with the perfumes of rich flowers and engaging concerts among the trembling leaves above all there was the soothing warmth of a delicious climate but, out upon those heaped and spreading plains of snow, nothing stirred. If it were not once that I was startled by a loud report and spied a rock about half a mile away slide down the edge of a flat cliff and tumble into the sea. Nothing stirred, I say there was an affrightening solemnity of motionless everywhere. The countenance of this plain glared like a great dead face at the sky neither sympathy nor fancy no not the utmost forces of the imagination could witness expression in it its unmeaningness was ghastly and the ghastlier for the greatness of its bald and lifeless stare i turned my eyes seawards haply it was the whiteness that gave the ocean the extraordinarily rich dye i found in it the expanse went in flowing folds of violet into the nethermost heavens and though god knows what extent of horizon i surveyed the line of it as clear as glass ran without the faintest flaw to amuse my heart with even an instant's hope There was more weight however in the wind than i had supposed it blew from the west of north and was an exquisitely frosty wind despite the quarter whence it came it swept in moans among the rocks and there were tones in it that recalled the stormy mutterings we had heard in the blasts which came upon the brig before the storm boiled down upon her but my imagination was now so tight-strung as to be unwholesomely and unnaturally responsive to impulses and influences which at another time i had not noticed there were a few heavy clouds in the northeast, so steam-like that methought they borrowed their complexion from the snow on the island's cape there i was pretty sure however that there was wind behind them, for if the roll of the ocean did not signify heavy weather near to, then what else it betokened, I could not imagine. I cannot express to you how the very soul within me shrank from putting to sea in the little boat. There was no longer the support of the excitement and terror of escaping from a sinking vessel i stood upon an island as solid as land and the very sense of security it imparted rendered the boat an object of terror and the obligation upon me to launch into yonder mighty space as frightful as a sentence of death yet i could not but consider that it would be equally shocking to me to be locked up in this slowly crumbling body of ice nay, tenfold more shocking, and that, if I had to choose between the boat and this hideous solitude and sure starvation, I would cheerfully accept fifty times over again the perils of a navigation in my tiny ark. This reflection comforted me somewhat, and whilst I thus mused, i remained standing with my eyes upon the little group of fanciful fanes and spires of ice on the edge of the abrupt hollow i had been too preoccupied to take close notice on a sudden i started amazed by an appearance too exquisitely perfect to be credible the sun shone with a fine white frosty brilliance in the northeast some of these spikes and figures of ice reflected the radiance in several colors in places where they were windswept of their snow and showed the naked ice the hues were wondrously splendid and mingling upon the sight formed a kind of airy rainbow-like veil that complicated the whole congregation of white shaft and many tinctured spire the marble column the alabaster steeple into a confused but most surprisingly dainty and shining scene it was whilst looking at this that my eye traced a little distance beyond the form of a ship's spars and rigging through the labyrinth of the ice outlines i clearly made out two masts with two square yards on the foremast the rigging perfect so far as it went for the figuration showed no more than half the height of the masts the lower parts being apparently hidden behind the edge of the hollow i have said that this coast to the north abounded in many groups of beautiful fantastic shapes suggesting a great variety of objects as the forms of clouds do but nothing perfect but here now was something in ice that could not have been completer more symmetrical more faultlessly proportioned had it been the work of an artist i walked close to it and a little way around so as to obtain a clearer view and then getting a fair sight of the appearance i halted again transfixed with amazement the fabric appeared as if formed of frosted glass the mass had a good rake and with a seaman's eye i took notice of the furniture observing the shrouds stays backstays braces to be perfect nay as though the spirit artist of this fragile glittering pageant had resolved to omit no detail to complete the illusion. there stood a vein at the masthead shining like a tongue of ice against the soft blue of the sky come thought i recovering from my wonder there is more in this than it is possible for me to guess by staring from a distance so striking my pole into the snow i made carefully towards the edge of the hollow the gradual unfolding of the picture prepared my mind for what i could not see till the brink was reached then looking down i beheld a schooner-rigged vessel lying in a sort of cradle of ice stern on to the sea a man bulked out with frozen snow so as to make his shape as great as a bear leaned upon the rail with a slight upwards inclination of his head as though he were in the act of looking fully up to hail me his posture was even more lifelike than that of the man under the rock but his garment of snow robbed him of that reality of vitality which had startled me in the other and the instant i saw him i knew him to be dead he was the only figure visible the whole body of the vessel was frosted by the snow into the glassy aspect of the spars and rigging and the sunshine striking down made a beautiful prismatic picture of the silent ship she was a very old craft the snow had moulded itself upon her and enlarged without spoiling her form i found her age in the structure of her bows the headboards of which curved very low round to the top of the stern forming a kind of well there the after part of which was framed by the forecastle bulkhead after the fashion of shipbuilding in vogue in the reign of anne and the first two georges her topmasts were standing but her jibboom was rigged in i could find no other evidence of her people having snugged her for these winter quarters in which she had been manifestly lying for years and years i traced the outlines of six small cannons covered with snow but resting with clean sculptured forms in their white coats a considerable piece of ordnance aft and several petraros or swivel pieces upon the after bulwark rails Gaffs and booms were in their places and the sails furled upon them the figuration of the main hatch showed a small square and there was a companion or hatch cover abaft the main mast there was no trace of a boat she had a flush or level deck from the well in the bows to a fathom or so past the main shrouds it was then broken by a short poop deck which went in a great spring or rise to the stern that was after the pink style, very narrow and tall. Though I write this description coldly, let it not be supposed that I was not violently agitated and astonished almost into the belief that what I beheld was a mere vision, a phenomenon. The sight of the body I examined did not nearly so greatly astound me as the spectacle of this ice-locked schooner it was easy to account for the presence of a dead man my own situation indeed sufficiently solved the riddle of that corpse but the ship perfect in all respects was like a stroke of magic she lay with a slight list or inclination to larboard but on the whole tolerably upright owing to the corpulence of her bilge the hollow or ravine that formed her bed went with a sharp incline under her stern to the sea which was visible from the top of the cliffs here through the split in the rocks the shelving of the ice put the wash of the ocean at a distance of a few hundred feet from the schooner but i calculated that the vessel's actual elevation above the water-line, supposing you to measure it with a plummet up and down, did not exceed twenty feet, if so much the hollow in which she rested being above twenty feet deep. It was very evident that the schooner had in years gone by got embayed in this ice when it was far to the southward, and had in course of time been built up in it by floating masses for how old the ice about the poles may be who can tell in those sunless worlds the frozen continents may well possess the antiquity of the land and who shall name the monarch who filled the throne of britain when this vast field broke away from the main and started on its stealthy navigation sunwards End of the frozen schooner